Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is more machine than man, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty good. That is always wonderful to hear. Tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. You can find us on iTunes. Rate and review us if you get a chance. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. And we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash romancircuspod. Zach, we, uh, I don't know. What's what's happening in the news? What's happening in your life? Is that, we haven't we haven't talked in like twenty four hours. I'm sure a lot has happened. Well, you know, lots happening uh, in life. Uh, I've been I've been seeing a chiropractor, mm-hmm. um, and it's made me taller. So yeah, that's that's uh, big news for everyone. How you've gained an inch on your height? Do, is that what we think? Yeah, one or two. Wow, two two is no. But joke. yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm now six feet tall. Oh, amazing. And it's I had that confirmed by a medical professional. So For, I'm an adult are, now. Those of you out there who want to be six feet tall, just go to Zach's chiropractor. Yes, yeah, Spinal Works Dallas. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get them to pay me for that. Pay us. Pay us for that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're a team. That's right. Um, yeah, so as far as news, so I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm a little bit uh, strapped on this because I, I'm off social media and I'm not aimlessly browsing the internet, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's Lent. Right. Um, but I have heard some news secondhand, so I thought I could, um, you know, just kind of let you know the news as I've heard from people I've been around. Ooh, Zach Mabry gives us the secondhand news. Yeah. Okay. So, um, apparently uh, there are a bunch of celebrities and I guess they're like, lifetime celebrities like you know women's shows and stuff who mm-hmm. were uh paying a bunch of money to get their kids into college to right. like cheat the system absolutely and the fbi has has cracked down on this mm-hmm. and apparently one of them was Lori laughlin right and they caught her uh she she got her it cost her like five hundred thousand dollars to get her first child into college and then with the second child I guess they caught her saying, no, this one isn't stupid. And she wasn't going to have to spend as much. <laughs> right. She, okay. She, she got a discount on her non-stupid child. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, apparently this is a whole thing and it's taken them years to, you know, pin it down. And the FBI, I guess, went to these people like guns drawn and, mm-hmm. and shut them down. And just shut them right down. Did you see the video of Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia, talking about why she wants to go to school no she basically i've only heard that's true she she said uh that she wants to go and get the full experience and like go to football games and do some partying and live the life of a college student but she's not really interested in going to class and in fact she's going to have to miss a lot of class because she'll be off in other countries for work (laughs) same (laughs) I <laughs> know, right? It sounds like so familiar. No, I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay, but let's be honest. College is stupid. So, yeah, um, I agree with that. 
I mean, you know, and it's something we can point out that this is where some of the critiques of equality come in because we do pretend that everybody has the same chance at things um, when that isn't true. People that have these kind of means do have, um, you know, easier access to this stuff. And it would probably just be better if we were just open about it. Like, well, you know, your mom is a worldwide celebrity, so you get Mm -hmm. to go to college here. I mean, at some point, at least that's honest. And it, it, well, I mean, it happens it, either it, way. I was going to say that that actually does happen, right? Like legacy stuff and like, you know, if you give if you give enough money, the legal... I think the, the problem is that it was all like bribes and they were changing SAT scores and stuff, right? Like that, right? right? She should have just give a half a million dollars to for a building and everything would have been fine. Right. And I mean, yeah, that's what... You, and then you get your name on the building. It's, it's, mm. it's great. So... Yeah, um, that's rough. Let's see, what else did I hear? Okay. Um, I heard, oh, I, I was told that Trump grounded all of the 737s. Right, personally, he he took them all under, he, I was going to say took them all under his wing, but I realized that would be a pun, and I am I don't want to do puns this episode. Yeah, no, no, no puns. No, no we, puns. We don't intend zone. any puns this episode. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, which is probably causing a lot of chaos at my beloved employer. But, um, you know, I don't know. I haven't I haven't checked. You got to go, go um, out there and inspect the planes. I know. I actually, I got to go on a 737 and get like a tour um, Ooh, fancy. a few months ago. How and was I, I was asking about why they were crashing and they kind of laughed. It was an awkward moment. You were like, no, I'm actually asking. Well, I mean, I will point out that, you know, pilots for any of the american major airlines have not crashed any 737s right and so i mean there's there are clear um with uh i think it was beijing was the la- the first one that crashed the before this most recent one okay um and there were clear mistakes made by the pilots but um when you have a pattern where it's the same plane that is pretty rough sure um and it is challenging because, you know, Boeing is an American company and, you know, one of a, a great American company as far as the planes they make, um, not the weapons, but, you know, the planes uh, <laughs> are, are, so, you know, it's tough when that kind of stuff happens and, you know, there'll be consequences. I'm interested to see how it impacts travel, you know, for the rest of the, the week. Well, I'm hopping on a plane in a day, so, you know. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else did I hear? I did hear that, I guess, Nancy Pelosi has revoked um, like an office or a room that Paul Ryan had given to the vice president. Um, I, I didn't even hear this one. This sounds made up. It probably is. Um, <laughs> okay something about the speaker of the house when it was paul ryan was speaker of the house he gave um a like an office to vice president pence to use for some purpose and that now speaker pelosi has revoked it i don't i don't really know oh wow making the the hard decisions the hard cuts in this economy you can't have extra offices just hanging out i don't know i don't know um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what else. Um, 
I think that I think that's good. I think that's a lot of good secondhand news. Yeah, I mean, so far no one else has really. I mean, it's interesting because like, I don't feel like I miss knowing what's going on all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. was texting my friend Jake, who's also your friend, um, mm-hmm. and we. He's, uh, he's your friend. He's my best friend, and that's he, right. That's and, right. And you are his friend, but I'm his best friend. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but we're we're both kind of out of the loop on world events right now, and it's, right. it's just fantastic. I mean, you know, if the world ends, I don't even know that I want warning, right? Like, I just, mm-hmm. just want to blow up, so. Yeah, well, um, make sure you've gone to confession, and that's probably the best-case scenario. Yeah, I did hear from, apparently on the Drudge Report, there's a story that a man named Sober was arrested for a DUI. Brilliant. I know. We're, we're living in, like, what a time to be alive. If anything... If anything should have gotten the Drudge Report sirens going, that would have been it. You know those sirens oh, that they use? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Shall we uh, Mad get... Drudge. What a guy. Shall we get well, into the, the topic? Mats, he's, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of secondhand news that may not be true. Hey. What transition? Uh, sure. No, that's okay. Let's, let's talk heresy. It is so important to know what to do good as a Catholic, but it is also important to know what not to do so you can be a good Catholic. And if that makes sense, I I think uh, you'll enjoy these heresies, Zach. Well, you oh, might yeah. not enjoy them. You'll enjoy uh, putting your thumb on them and completely wiping them from the earth. Absolutely. Oh, uh, I told... Earlier this week, I was talking to my mom, and she's like, what do you guys got coming up next on the podcast? And I said, oh, we're going to do a couple episodes about heresies. And she said, you guys will really enjoy that. And I couldn't tell if it was because we like talking about the subject, or she thinks we just go around and finger wag at everybody all the time. Calling everything a heretic? Yeah. You can't just call everything a heresy. (laughs) It's true. The The heresy of over hereticalism yes hyper hyper hereticalism hyper hereticalism i like it all right so uh do you have a definition in front of you of what a heresy is um well i mean you know the primary thing that heresy is is it's a an error regarding faith or morals of something defined by the church okay great and there are two types of heresies there are formal heresies and there are material heresies the material heresy you had a good example um that we talked about that i would like to use but i will cite my sources and give you credit for oh absolutely a material heresy is if you just woke up one day so this is and, like an example of like material versus formal, like material participation or something Right. Okay. So material heresy would be if you just woke up one day and every finger on your right hand except your middle finger was permanently closed. So you're walking around flipping everybody off. Okay. But you didn't, you weren't doing it with the intent of what that symbol means. It was just something that was happening. Right. You didn't, you had, you didn't have knowledge of what it meant. It just, it just, uh, was occurring. Right. Right. And a formal heresy would be 
you actually flipping someone off with the intent of knowing what it is and knowing what you're doing and doing it anyway. So that's why that's important to note because we it goes back to what we say a bunch is we're only held accountable for what we know, right? Yeah. So, so it doesn't... The, the sticky thing is a mortal sin is a mortal sin regardless, but your culpability is what changes. So it's the same thing with heresy. It's the, the heresy is a heresy, but your culpability changes with what you actually know and your actual intent. Right. And so that's where, like with formal heresy, there's a certain amount of obstinacy at play, like where you just refuse to... Um, you know, let go of the, the error that you've embraced. And so mm-hmm. as long as you're always willing to submit to the church's decisions, then, you know, the errors that you have are, are basically mistakes or fleeting opinions. that Learning, you know, learning experiences. Ab- yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll hopefully be corrected, but you, you're not, you know, committing formal heresy by, you know, let's say you, you thought that, um, For example, nothing's coming to mind. Um, you, like you a, thought if that, you thought that uh, the, the Trinity was a quadrinity. Sure. Yeah. Or if, if you thought that the, um, the at Mass that the host um, is only the body and the precious blood, the wine, is only the, the blood, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know both the host and the precious blood having the full Christ, then yeah, I mean, that's an error, but you're not... Um, you know, once you're corrected and you know it, but if you were corrected and then you refused to, you know, absolutely not, I'm, this is what I believe. And that, that's where you'd, you know, be a heretic. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Let's, Uh, so we're going to, sorry, what? Go, go, go. The other thing we should just, uh, like we should distinguish heresy from two, uh, similar sins, if you will. One of them is apostasy, and so that's where you completely abandon the faith of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you if you don't um, if you just have a heresy, an error that you won't let go of, then you could be a heretic, but you aren't an apostate unless you just completely and wholly abandon faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, you know, schismatics. So some people aren't heretics; they don't actually believe any errors of faith and morals, but they refuse to be in communion with the the church, with the Catholic church and under the um, authority of the Pope. And so in those cases, you would be in schism, but that's not the same thing again as heresy. You may not have any errors regarding faith or morals. Okay. All right. They are all things that you shouldn't do. Right. They are all different. Yeah, there's distinctions there. Before we get going, the le- I just wanted to read a uh, fact for you about heretics. Let's go. The last case of a heretic being executed was that of the schoolmaster Cayetano Ripola, or Ripoll, accused of deism by the waning Spanish Inquisition and hanged to death on July 26th. 1826 in Valencia after a two-year trial. Zach, it's been almost 200 years since we've hung a heretic. It shows. <laughs> it shows. Yeah, we need to get back and up those stats. 
Yeah. I mean, they're just running around everywhere now. Yeah. Okay. So, there we're we're going to I think the plan is to do a couple episodes on heresies uh and we're going to kind of categorize them by type of heresy. So, the first one is uh what okay, what what did you they're like Christ-centered heresies? Yeah, like these are Christological heresies. They're okay. heresies about Christ and who he is and and whatnot. Um, did you just, is that Alexa or Siri? No, that, that was, yeah, that was, I can't use the word, that was Siri. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what triggered her, but there she was. Um, she She feels like we're getting a little too close to the truth of her being a heretic. Right. Yeah, so the... Uh, Several heresies have risen through the centuries. The the three um, hundreds, four hundreds, and five hundreds were a big time period for heresies about Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this—I mean, it—it it, it kind of makes sense that, that a lot of this would happen in the early church, and especially around the time that the Bible was, you know, con- constructed and, and come upon. Right. So it it mm-hmm. seems like there would be a lot of things around that time that people would. I'd be having knockdown dragouts about right, and that's the other thing about heresy is you have you know different aspects of it. You have the the error itself, you know whatever the um, belief is, and then you have sort of the story of you know who was proposing it, who fought against it, how did mm-hmm. the church deal with it. Um, so there's a lot to look at with heresies. So when you when you think about it, it's very you know they're part of the history of the church, and the good thing about heresy, which is sort of indirect, is that the church um, comes to a better understanding of the truth when it uh, shoots down the heresy. So mm-hmm. that's that's always a good thing. And these weren't just little Twitter fights either. These were these were like legitimate fights too. There were I mean the, sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. The first one, you want to talk about Arianism first? Arianism, yes. All right, what is Arianism? So Arianism is a heresy that arose in the 4th century that denies the divinity of Christ, which is, you know, basically, um, you know, the foundation of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So um, this happened, it pops up um, early on, right after the end of the Great Persecution. So what you can kind of think is that first... Um, the church, the attempt was to destroy the church from the outside, right? You know, through persecutions, you know, killing everyone like the Romans did, and then after that, the uh, the switch became to try to destroy the church from the inside mm-hmm. by um, twisting up the doctrines and changing the faith and and breaking everything down. Um, the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit is always with the church, so these plots won't ever actually succeed, and the church will always triumph over any heresy. Sure. Okay, so uh, basically Arius denied the deity of the Son of God, holding that Jesus was created by God as the first act of creation, and that the nature of Christ was not like the nature of God the Father. So therefore, Arianism is that Christ is a finite created being with some divine attributes, but he is not eternal and not divine in and of himself. Which, yeah, I mean, cut cuts against everything. <laughs> cuts against everything of the backbone of the the church and the Trinity, basically. 
Right, because you have to think, with the Trinity, we're talking about um, one what with three who's, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So the, yeah. the what is the nature. That's God, um, you know, divine nature. And then the who's are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so this tries to basically subvert that by saying, you know, instead of the tr- the Holy Trinity, God, having existed, you know, in it, uncreated, that you had God the Father, and then, yes, his very first thing on his to-do list was to create the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, the Son of God, not the not the star. Um, right. So, I mean, one thing that's inter- interesting about this is it clearly doesn't occur in Scripture like that. Like, not even... Mm-hmm. Not even, like, implicitly. Um, right. But this did become a heresy, and obviously the Trinity is a tricky subject. You know, we can't even really fully grasp it in this life. And so it, it seems like an, a sort of easy first target to try to confuse people because it, it is easily, you know, you can get confused with this. Sure, it's something outside of just our realm of thinking that it would be easy to knock down or create doubt. Yeah, it's important to note that the only distinctions and i use that word lightly because it's a way of understanding but the only distinctions in god are of persons right they're the same Mm -hmm. it's the same god but the so that that would be yeah that'd be completely easy to especially with the idea of uh you know a history of of many gods of different gods of the sun and of the ocean and of the lands it you could see where it would creep back in right and especially this arianism was hap- the arius was in egypt so they're no they're no stranger to their many gods and all that right so i mean this spread rapidly and many of the bishops uh, embraced arianism and it it really gets to the point that you can't find bishops that haven't embraced it. This this is looked at as, you know, the the biggest crisis of Christendom as far as the the faith is concerned. Right. Well, if you can knock that down, then you can knock down the entire you can knock down the entire church, really. Right. I mean, you just undermine the entire faith. And so, mm-hmm. um the division that this caused was actually worrying to the emperor, Emperor Constantine. Um he he didn't understand the significance of it or what what it really meant but he was very concerned about the um the situation on the ground and so he ordered all the bishops to meet um in, at the, for the council of nicaea in turkey oh wow okay so that's where that's where this was kind of handled then yes and so with this you've got a couple key players you've got um arius himself uh-huh. And then on the on the good side, you have um, Athanasius, right? Uh, and you also have Nicholas, okay, which we'll get to. Um, so Athanasius was uh, is a saint, Saint Athanasius, and is considered a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, he was much younger than Arius. He was only twenty seven when all this stuff happened. So, oh wow, those of you I know, those of you that have already passed twenty seven and you haven't squashed any great heresies. I don't know what to tell you. That's why we're frantically doing this podcast, because we were both past that age. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Okay, so... That's all we can do. All we can do. All right, so we have Athanasius. He's in, He's a He's a young fella. Is he the one who is uh, responsible for the creed, too? He has his own creed, the Athanasian creed? 
Yes. Yeah, the Athanasian Creed, which is really interesting. We should maybe post a link to it. Um, it yeah. just does a great job sort of demonstrating the, the Trinity and uh, you know mm-hmm. the mystery of, of that and making it easier to grasp. And it is um, long and great. Right. Okay, sorry. Well, so the, the Arians tried really hard to persecute um, St. Athanasius. They had this, you know, kangaroo court trial against him to convict him of murder. You know, they, mm. they really wanted to uh, to stop him. Um, but ultimately, Orthodoxy triumphs. They write the Nicene Creed at this council, which, um, you know, nicely defines that the uh, the Trinity, that God the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are all God and um, mm-hmm. all share a divine nature. And uh, we say that at Mass uh, every Sunday. Okay. Yeah, a lot of these things come at, come are, are are great, but they come out of the need to combat heresy, which is cool. Yes, so. I mean, and that's that is cool, and that's one of the things that you, know, you kind of see with each heresy something something good results that the church you know can hold on to, and with this one, we got the the creed. So Arius's main argument, and I get where. This is where you can kind of see what he was going for. But he said, If the Father begat the Son, then he who was begotten had a beginning and existence. And from this it follows there was a time when the Son was not. Okay? So the obvious problem is you're looking at Christ and you're looking at God as something that had a beginning or something that can be willed into existence instead of always existing, right? So it that that's kind of the the problem there but you can see where that logic would arise from and you can see where that that kind of argument would spring from exactly exactly mm-hmm. i have a quote here on socrates scholacticus scholacticus a bitter enemy to arius describes what he claims to be arius's death okay i found this online It was then Saturday, and Arius was expecting to assemble with the church on the day following, but divine retribution overtook his daring criminalities. For going out of the imperial palace, attended by a crowd of Eusebian partisans like guards, he paraded proudly through the midst of the city, attracting the notice of all the people. As he approached the place called Constantine's Forum, where the column of Prof... Prophyry is erected. You know that word? I don't. Oh, Prophyry. A terror arising from the remorse of conscience seized Arius, and with the terror a violent relaxation of the bowels. He therefore inquired whether there was a convenient place near, and being directed to the back of Constantine's forum, he he hastened there. Soon after, a faintness came over him, and together with the evacuations, his bowels protruded, following, followed by a copious hemorrhage and the descent of the smaller intestines. Moreover, portions of his spleen and liver were brought off in the effusion of blood, so that he almost immediately died. The scene of this catastrophe still is shown at Constantinople, as I have said, behind the shambles in the colonnade, and by persons going by pointing the finger at the place. There is a perpetual remembrance preserved of this extraordinary kind of death. All right, so uh, he basically uh, 
had to go to the bathroom, and everything came out of his body, including his organs. Well, what a way to go. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So uh, keep in mind that is his bitter enemy, so I'm not sure if that's exactly how it happened, but, you know, it could have. I I believe it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the, the, the interesting thing is that in order to squash Arianism, there was basically one bishop, Bishop Ambrose, the Pope, and then the ordinary people who mm-hmm. all held to the divinity of Christ, and then it was all the other bishops who were against it. And so that kind of shows you um, an interesting thing about the church in that you know, the, the ordinary people did very well grasp the divinity of Christ, right. and they, they weren't swayed by Arian's heresies. Okay, good. Cool. So Arianism gets smashed, and uh, there we go. St. Athanasius triumphs over everything. That's right. Okay, so our next one is Nestorianism. Yes. Tell me about Nestorianism, Matt. Uh, it's This is a sect that originated in Asia Minor in Syria out of condemnation of Nestorius and his teachings by the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD, okay? Nestorians stressed the independence of the divine and human natures of Christ and in effect suggested that they were two persons loosely united. So you have have Christ the God and then Christ the man. Right, two persons we're saying here. Mm -hmm. He also, Nestorius had been anathemized at Ephesus for denouncing the use of the title the Theotokos or Godbearer for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hmm. And he insisted that that compromised the reality of Christ's human nature, which would make sense if you if you believe that they were two different things then you would believe that Mary gave birth to the the human part of God, right? As opposed right. to actually the God part. It would would be like a uh uh, God, God, the human person, or Christ, the human person, is born, and then there is also a God person that is, I think, would instead of them being one and the same, it would be like, uh, quote, you know, correct me if I if I, this is off base, but like if you had two pieces of paper and you'd put the two pieces of paper perfectly on top of each other, right? Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so it, it's when you, like. And then you basically move them along a table. So it's like two different things instead of, you know, one, the, the nature's being a hu- uh, the divine person. Right. And, you know, this is a real problem because it undermines uh, the crucifixion, the very act of our redemption. Oh, true. If, if they're separate, then only, only the human person uh, was crucified and died, not um, the divine part. And so that's mm-hmm. where you know, this becomes dangerous. And so when when this kind of blows up, um, the emperor again calls a council because of all of the division, and Pope Celestine was uh, was pope at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the council of Ephesus. Um, what they did is they, uh, they condemned Nestorianism. They uh, deposed uh, Nestorius as bishop and then, um, you know, declared that Christ is one person. Um, and as a result, they also declared that Mary is the mother of God. Mm-hmm. 
Right. If you're if you're gonna if you're going to claim that Christ is a divine person, then that would only make sense that the mother who bore him was also the mother of God, right? The 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 divine nature. Right. And it was interesting with this council, they just didn't want to waste any time. Um, Cyril, of, Cyril of Alexandria was the chairman, and they, they did everything in one day. I mean, it was they took one day to, <laughs> to condemn or to anathematize Nestorius and his teachings, take him take mm-hmm. his uh, bishop role away, and um, move on. And so with that, we have Mary as the mother of God. And, um, you know, the, the gift we got from this is that Marian devotion uh, increased. I mean, there had been great devotion to Mary from the very beginning, um, really from... Mm-hmm the Annunciation, and then again. But um, with this declaration, it, it became, you know, more intense. And then in the Hail Mary prayer, we have, you know, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And so Mother of God um, becomes, you know, clearly officially declared a title um, at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, again, it. I think one of the important things about to know why heresies are condemned is to kind of know kind of know why they arose like obviously to know why they arose but like you can't i i look at these and you're like yeah i I can see where someone would make that leap like it's not it's not a thing where you look at them and you're like how could anyone ever think that well we have the benefit of two thousand years of all these heresies being smashed to think that right but if you're in the moment like if someone like the idea of uh, of god being so far from you the idea that God could actually take on human nature would an, on some level seem kind of, kind of silly, right? Not, you know, it would seem or no, impossible almost, right? You were right. thinking it from a, from that standpoint when, when really, when you look through the idea of why he needed to take on a human nature to redeem everything involved in that nature, then that makes more sense. But if you look at it purely as like a, Oh, well, uh, God just decided to grab a body and start wandering around earth for a while. You can see where they would get to it. And I don't, right. I, I don't know how much of this is ever out of necessarily any ill, necessarily any ill will, right? Cause they're, it sure they're taking down the church with these views, but they, they're thinking they're doing something good. Like they think they have, they think they have the actual correct view. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I, I, to an extent. I mean, but there is this obstinacy and this refusal to submit to the rightful authority. Well, that's, yeah, um, that's that, when they that go. does make it problematic. Well, that's when they go awry. Sure. Yeah. It, the, the idea, I think, with some of these, obviously, the idea is to suggest this this thought and then have it worked out instead of suggesting this thought and then grabbing a bunch of followers and now making this the correct thought, even though it's not. Right. Right. So to kind of summarize where we're at now, basically we had the Arians who denied the divinity of Christ mm-hmm. and then the Nestorians who downplayed the divinity of Christ and kind of the relationship between the human person and the divine person. Okay. And so you know what happens next, right? Uh, what? I, I mean, it next, would, they would be a, I don't know, tell me. Next, they're going to deny his humanity. This is the next... Um, great Christological heresy, which is called monophysitism or uh-huh. the monophysite her- heresy. Okay. So we, this is it's silly to even think that 
God would lower himself to take on human form? Um, basically, so this is saying that he wasn't truly human. He didn't have a human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, he just looked human. So it'd be like um, like an apparition or okay. you know, times in Scripture where angels appear as men. Um, basically a... Or fat, fat babies. Sorry. Fat babies, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, or, or kind of like a hologram is how I think of this one. Right. Um, so, because, yeah, they've... They've said that he's one person, which we know is true. Nestorianism said he was two. They declared he was one. Well, now monophysitism is going to declare that he has one nature, and that's a divine nature, that he doesn't have a human nature. Okay. All right, so then I that right off the bat, that seems silly because then what – I don't know. I don't – no, what there would be no point of necessarily him coming down and again it renders the crucifixion irrelevant right right the problem there is that yeah if he didn't if he didn't join humanity by -hmm. taking on a human nature then you know he didn't redeem us he didn't answer the the sins of adam who was a man um unless he became himself man um and so you know a quote i've always heard is that um God loved humanity so much that he decided to join it himself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this this undermines that, totally denies it, because it's just saying that he basically is like a hologram. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just... it. Yeah, it, okay. I. But again, you can see where that... I, do you think that comes... That springs from, like, a over... Like, a re, extreme reverence of what god is that god again would not would not yeah i mean it's obviously not like you would think well duh Mm -hmm. of course this is wrong um but it it does seem like yeah they they're now basically saying oh the the divine couldn't you know couldn't be soiled by the human so they they couldn't there couldn't be two natures in in christ okay so pope leo the great comes to the rescue Mm -hmm. they call together another council uh, back in Ephesus, this is in the year 449, um, the Pope sent his servants, or his legates, uh, Julius and Hilary. Um, however, the chairman of the council was a monophy- tended towards monophysitism, and so mm-hmm. he wouldn't listen to the papal legates. Of course. So this becomes a whole ordeal. Uh, Hilary and Flavius, they get beaten. Um so again, in this case, it's the the heretics beating the the Orthodox, and that's where when we talk about there being fights, it, it's not, um, you know, the the big bad church against the the poor heretic. It's, it's usually these aggressive, nasty heretics against um, the faithful Christians. Absolutely. So everyone's you know torn up, beaten, but Hillary escapes, goes to Pope Leo. Pope Leo condemns the council, so it's thrown out. It's the, the robber council is how it's known since then. Mm-hmm. Um, the robber council of, of Ephesus. So that's the thing. A, a ecumenical council has to have the approval of the Pope or it, it's not an ecumenical council. And in this case, the Pope threw it out. And so they get rid of it. So then the Pope calls another council. This is in 451, the council of uh, Chalcedon. And this is where they actually finally squash um, Nestorianism. Okay. And you get a great uh, quote with this. So when when Leo's 
condemnation of monophysitism is read, um, it's accepted by the council, and they say, Peter has spoken through Leo. And so, you know, we're seeing more important here the, the authority of the Pope, both over ecumenical councils and in defining dogma. So, Matt, do you think that um, after this was laid down that the, the, the heretics promoting monophysitism that they, you know, just gave up and went home and embraced the true faith? Of course. They had dinner to attend, and they were just tired from the day. Well, unfortunately, not the case. And uh, again, mass pandemonium breaks out, um, and you have this scuffle between the Bishop of Rome and the Bishop of Constantinople. The, the emperor and his wife get involved in Byzantium. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you have new popes elected. There's an anti-pope. Um, basically, it's a, a huge mess. Um Finally, you know, it's clear that Pope uh, Vigilius is the validly elected Pope. Um, Mm -hmm. He is Orthodox, and um, he sets things down. Um, This upsets, obviously, the emperor's wife because she she embraced monophysitism, and the scuffle continues. But ultimately, um, good triumphs over evil, and uh, the monophysite heresy is smashed, and... The Holy Spirit works through the church. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Both east and west. So this is good. You know, at this point, the church is still one. Well, the church is always one. At this point, east and west are still united, mm-hmm. and both sides embrace the truth. Okay, good. Good. I like when that happens. Uh, yes. there, There's also kind of a tangent. It's it's called monotheolitism. You know that one? No. It's the belief that Christ, the, the belief that Christ was two natures in one person, except that he only had a divine will and no human will. So it's this is kind of a tangent off of the other one because it's still people kind of buffering the fact that Christ was fully human and fully divine, right? So it's like, oh, sure, mm-hmm. he maybe he's he has two natures, but certainly he can't have a human will. That would be silly, but. Once again, he had to have a human will because he had to redeem everything, right? So he had to redeem the human will. If he came down and he only had his divine will, then you can't redeem a divine will. You can't change a divine will, so there'd be no point in it. Right. Um, And so through this great series of heresies, what what we come out knowing about Christ is that he is one divine person, with a human nature and a divine nature, a human will and a divine will. Right. You know, which I think is, you know, if you think about that, we, I think we take that for granted because even most, most Protestant denominations that are alive today embrace all of that. So there's no real controversy about most of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it kind of helps us understand, like you've said, there has to be the human nature um, and there has to be the human will so that he could redeem humanity through sacrificing himself um and then of course because he's god he has to have his divine will Mm -hmm. um and because he's a person um you know he's one divine person and so you know that's where you you get this all all together and so it uh works out quite quite nicely um you know god wasn't you know bored in heaven when he decided to join humanity and and come to earth he wanted to get to know us and so through through these dogmas, we get to know more about Christ and who he is and who, what he is and, you know, 
everything. So it's uh, it's very important. And um, also through this, the the church's structure becomes more clear as time goes on. Um, you know, Peter set above the apostles from the very beginning, mm-hmm. but the apostles, all of them, had you know special gifts from the Holy Spirit. And you know, at first, the biggest focus is you know, persecutions and just trying to survive. Um, when these heresies break out, the, you know, the churches, the councils, the popes, the bishops, all this uh, becomes more clear and defined, and we start to learn the, you know, the, the structure of the church uh, as God intended it to be. Yeah. They're all, they're, certainly we don't want heresies, but they, they are good in a sense that they teach us what not to think. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that. That's the, that's, that are all those. You want to do a saint of the week? Let's do it. It's a good one here. Pope Gregory the First, Saint Gregory the Great. Feast day, March 12th. He was Pope from 590 to 604. He is the patron of musicians, singers, students, and teachers. All right. He was the first pope from a monastic background. And he is a doctor of the church and one of the Latin fathers. So he had some... uh, Let's see, he had a... He had some liturgical reforms. All right. Now, Zach, I don't want you to get all all worried when I say the yeah, phrase little, liturgical liturgical reforms. Ooh, yikes. Yeah, so he he moved the Our Father to immediately after the Roman canon and immediately before the fraction, and that is the position that it is still maintained in today. He added material to the to the how do you pronounce it honk igator oh i have no idea I, every time i see that word in the missile i get confused and i yeah. can't pronounce it h-a-n-c and he established the nine curies at the beginning of the oh, mass nice. he also reduced the role of deacons in the roman liturgy nice uh sacramentaries directly influenced by Gregorian reforms are referred to as Sacramentaria Gregoriana. And okay. here's a little thing for you. He's the Gregorian chant named after Pope St. Gregory I. What? I know, go figure. That's wild. Yeah, it's I thought it would I thought it was just a sheer coincidence they both basically were named Gregory. Yes. So yeah. So, so go, go on. No, well, I was going to say what's interesting when we're talking about uh, these reforms that took place under Gregory, you can mm-hmm. see how they are relatively minor. Um, mm-hmm. And again, a lot of people, like I like to use the term Gregorian rite to refer to um, the traditional mass. Right. But ultimately, he didn't you know, start from scratch and make a whole new rite. He, he took the existing ritual and he made incremental changes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was something you can kind of see. I mean, the Roman canon... Clearly, if it, if he was moving the the Lord's Prayer based on the Roman canon, that was already 
in place and it, it kind of you know tells us what you know what the mass looks like and why we we hand it down and there may be you know little changes here and there but it's it's something that we hand down we don't you know discard it and and you know make up our own so there's the relic relics of saint gregory are enshrined at saint peter's basilica there's the tomb of saint gregory did you did you see it at all when you were in rome um i don't remember but i I, i'm certain that i had no idea who pope saint gregory the great was when i was in rome sure so you might have seen it you just might have just might have been one of the many things you saw at that time absolutely yeah probably all right so uh he's also commonly credited with founding the medieval papacy and so many attribute the beginning of medieval spirituality to him interesting that's very interesting yeah so there's pope saint gregory the first excellent all right, Zach, anything else before we bring this to a stunning conclusion? I don't think so. Um, you know, just don't be a heretic. Uh, and, you know, now you've got four heresies to avoid. And so no excuses to our listeners. No no embracing any of those. <laughs> yeah. All and, right. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more heresies. These are more about moral faith and moral, or morals, whereas the other ones are about faith. Oh, great. All right. We'll see you next week then. 